I am well aware that it is probably for most of us far enough in the, the rear view mirror that we have transitioned away from Christmas and we've gotten on with the, the new year. So I ask you to bear with me a, a little bit as, as I refer to one of the great Christmas classics, National Lampoon's Christmas Vacation. Such a tradition for so many of us that it doesn't feel like the season until we've, we've given it at least one watch. Just filled with so many iconic scenes and so many quotable quotes that, that it's a part of so many of our traditions. And one of the, the favorites is probably the scene where I guess it's, it's kind of a significant portion of the movie. And maybe I sadly relate to this too much, but it's, it's the scene where the patriarch Clark Griswold is putting up the Christmas lights. And maybe I relate to it because the movie so expertly captures the dim-witted doofus of a dad slipping and sliding down ladders off the roof to do anything and everything he can uh, to have this most glorious display of Christmas lights on his house. And of course, with, with every little prolonged uh, attempt on his part to, to get those lights in place, the, the mastery of the movie is really that it just makes, creates so much buildup for that final moment when Clark brings out his family and he's ready to dazzle them with a glorious array of lights unrivaled. And he takes each end of the cord and he plugs it in together and, spoiler alert, nothing happens. It's pretty obvious that something is, is wrong because... If all of the work that he put into it, if, if all of that was going to pay off, you'd expect the, the house to light up the minute that he plugged it in, but it's very clear because the lights don't light up that something is wrong. Now, maybe it's not uh, strands of, of thousands upon thousands of lights failing to light up that would indicate it, but there are plenty of signs in life that tell us when something isn't working, when something has gone wrong. Your bathroom scale will tell you when your diet isn't working, right? Your, your laptop or your device, when it has limited functionality, is indicating to you that something isn't working right. There are different signs, but we're clever enough, we're well aware to know in reading the signs when something isn't working the way that it's supposed to work. And in fact, if, if you recall last Sunday's message, one could draw the same conclusion about Jesus preaching in the synagogue. Somebody watching that whole experience might have concluded that it wasn't working. Jesus had, had preached and, and the crowds were listening and yet by the end of his preaching, they drove him to the nearest cliff to shove him off. Now what you'd expect if his message, if his preaching was working, was that not only would those people continue to clamor after him, but, but the word would have spread and more and more people would have come for Jesus. But it was quite the opposite. Took him to the nearest cliff to, to shove him off. And so it may have appeared as if his preaching wasn't working. Are there indicators that would maybe make you question or wonder the same thing today? Is the word working? 
whether you limit it to our congregation or the landscape of Christianity in, in general, you know there was a time that, that we used to have two services here at Shepherd of the Hills. Of course, you remember the uh, now discontinued the, the way, the mission efforts that we had in Rancho San Diego. You know, if you were at our, our congregational meeting last weekend, that our church attendance isn't what it used to be. And you probably know from your own personal experience that as a result of the, the past two years, you look around and, and there are faces, there are families that you have simply not seen. And so maybe on that basis, it's natural for us to question, is it working? Is the word working? And when something doesn't appear to be working, I suppose there are some options that we have, how we want to address it, right? On the one hand, we could totally just quit that thing. It's not working. Don't do it anymore. Or you might, might seek out help. You might ser- seek an alternative, some other option. And we see that too, don't we? I don't know that in, in my ministry I've ever experienced so many people ghosting their church despite attempts to to reach out and see how people are or where they're at to to just not see them and not hear from them. So some have chosen that option, apparently, to to just be be done with it. And others, of course, and and we've all maybe been here from time to time, you hear a a friend or a family member, their church is doing this or, or this is happening, and maybe that's what we need to do, that's what we need to engage in, and that's the secret sauce, that's the silver bullet. If we tried that here, maybe that would would really work. Or we could, we could try what it sounds like Paul mentioned to, to Timothy in our, our second reading today. You heard those words already, but I'll, I'll reread that portion from, from his letter to Timothy in, chapter, uh, in 2 Timothy chapter 3 and 4. He says to Timothy, For the time will come when men will not put up with sound doctrine, instead to suit their own desires, They will gather around them a great number of teachers to say what their itching ears want to hear. They will turn their ears away from the truth and turn aside to myths. So it sounds as if Paul is telling Timothy, hey, uh, if you want people to hear your message, you just have to tell them what they want to hear and, and they'll listen, they'll stick around. In fact, that's what they will gravitate toward. The only problem here, of course, is that you know the context. Paul wasn't writing to his young brother in the ministry to tell him, how to grow his church. Quite the opposite. These words were a warning. These words were warning Timothy that this is what you can expect in ministry. That as you stick to this, people will wander away from it and go listen to somebody who tells them what they want to hear. And in fact, didn't it really appear that that, that Paul's warning here of what would happen in Timothy's ministry was really what was already happening in Jesus' day? How else do you explain why the crowds that he was preaching to wanted to take him to the cliff and cast him off? He wasn't telling them, as he was very clear and pointed with the law, he wasn't telling them what their itching ears wanted to hear. So step one, get rid of the guy who doesn't say what we want to hear. Step two, go find somebody who does. So it's maybe worth our, our question, well, what did, what did Jesus do when it didn't appear that, 
the Word was working. And as you look at, at both the verses from last Sunday and again this morning, you notice that Jesus didn't really change anything at all, did he? In fact, last Sunday, the, the whole account wrapped up with as the, the fevered crowd is, is ready to, to push him off, he just waltzes right through the crowd and on to the next city. And then did you notice how, how Luke begins and ends the account for us today? In chapter 4, verse 38 says, Jesus left the synagogue, so there he was, preaching right again in the synagogue. And the last verse of our text today says that he kept on preaching in the synagogues of Judea. So Jesus didn't change anything. He knew his message wasn't well received, so what did he do? He went on and he preached the message somewhere else. He didn't change it, he didn't alter it, but he preached the message. In fact, he explained that that was exactly why he had come. In verse 43, Jesus said, I must preach the good news of the kingdom of God to the other towns also, because that is why I was sent. Yes, admittedly, Jesus left the synagogue that morning and went home and healed Peter's mother-in-law from a high fever. And not only that, but as you pay attention to the account, Jesus stayed up all night. Because remember, you couldn't do any healing on the Sabbath, so it wasn't until after 6 p.m. that the townspeople were bringing their sick and their demon-possessed to Jesus. And not only that, he didn't just snap his finger and said, all right, you're all good now, go home so I can get some sleep. He stayed up all night personally, individually, touching and healing everybody who came to him. And so you can understand why the next morning at dawn, when he wanted to go to a solitary place for a little alone time in prayer with his father, we're not shocked to see the crowds now chasing after Jesus instead of trying to push him off a cliff because now he was doing what they wanted. Now, that was very appealing to have Dr. Feelgood, Mr. Fix-It, solve all of our problems. But whether it was the unpopularity of last week or this newfound popularity because of his healing this week, did Jesus change what he did? No. He acknowledged and made clear that he had to go and preach the good news because that's why he was sent. And he uses that word must. There was no other option. That's why the Father sent Jesus into this world to preach and proclaim during his public ministry the good news of salvation. And in that sense, Jesus was actually doing what Paul would later write and encourage Timothy to do. Despite the warning that he gave that, that itching ears are going to go elsewhere if you are faithful to the word of God, what was Paul's encouragement to Timothy? He said, preach the word. Preach the word. And that was exactly what Jesus did. In fact, if you spend a little time, I encourage you to, to go back over the course of this week, just revisit, maybe use it as a part of your devotion, the second reading there. And you notice that all of those verses really center upon, they are founded on one simple truth. And we could summarize what Paul is really saying in all of those verses with the phrase, stick to the Word. Stick to the Word of God. When times are great and the Lord appears to be really blessing your congregation, Timothy, 
Stick to the word. When, t- when times are not so great, when you have backbiting and when you have God's people not, not acting as you'd expect God's people to and it thing, seems like things are falling apart, in those times, stick to the word. When there needs to be admonition, when there needs to be rebuke, stick to the word. When there's celebrating and reason for thanksgiving, stick to the word. When there is a need to equip and raise up and disciple your people, stick to the word. There is no plan B. It was the Word, it is the Word, it will always be the Word that God has entrusted to His people to build His kingdom. Stick to the Word. In all seasons. Why? Because the Word works. God made that promise through his prophet Isaiah. In chapter 55, he paints this picture for us. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. That was the word that Jesus was sent to preach and that he was dedicated to proclaiming for as long as he was on earth throughout his public ministry. You know, it's kind of a neat side of Jesus that we don't often focus our attention on. Do you know what we have in in Jesus? In Jesus, we have the perfect preacher. Any brother in the ministry, and, and myself, we are, are well aware uh, on a regular basis, daily basis, weekly basis, of how we fall short of the calling that God has entrusted us to. Whether it's getting done with a sermon and clenching our teeth because we forgot a point, because we weren't faithful to the text, because we didn't spend enough time memorizing it, whether it was because we neglected to call on a member who needed attention from God's Word, whatever it might be, the list is long of, of failures that every pastor, every preacher is daily reminded of. What a comfort for me, but for you as well to know that in Jesus we have a perfect preacher. One who never deviated from the Word of God, perfectly applied law and gospel lovingly when it was needed and necessary in every situation. You have a perfect preacher in your Savior Jesus who didn't stop there, as you well know. Because it it wouldn't have been enough for Jesus to just be the perfect preacher. To simply proclaim to preach the word, to stick to the word that God had given to him. That would not have been enough. He actually had to carry out the very words that he proclaimed to the crowds in the synagogue and anybody who would listen. If not, if Jesus had not carried these words out, if he had not suffered, if he had not died, if he had not risen from the dead, then this is empty chatter. Then it doesn't matter how profound or eloquent a sermon or any preaching is, it's empty had Jesus not also carried out the very gospel that he preached. But you know that he has. It is Jesus' perfect obedience and suffering, death, and resurrection that gives the Word of God its power and its punch. So stick to the Word. And I know it's it's hard because it's his very Word 
that convicts and accuses us. It's this very word that, that points the, the sharp uh, sting of the, the law right at us for neglecting it, for avoiding it, for, for thinking that less of it in our lives is okay and not a big deal. But it's that same word of God that then draws us back to Jesus because we know that our lack of holiness is, is only satisfied and met in Jesus' perfection and holiness. That, that our inability to please God or satisfy Him or come near Him has been met fully in that perfect preacher who is also our perfect Savior, Jesus, who alone is the source of forgiveness and grace and the hope of salvation and eternal life. So don't give in to this temptation to think that this isn't working or somehow less of this might be the solution. It will never be the solution. Always more of this in our personal lives, in our marriages, in our homes, in our corporate worship life together, in our congregational life. Not less, but more of the Word can only bring blessings and benefit. Stick to the Word. Finally, you know how the, the movie ends. Clark Griswold's dedication, his persistence, his determination to, to make sure he was going to check every light, he was going to connect every cord. It paid off not because of his own wisdom, but we have to credit his wife who figured out the problem. But at the end of the day, finally they witnessed it. The glorious display that sucked the electricity out of homes for blocks around and had this ridiculous beaming light that was this beacon from outer space that, that could be viewed. Clark Griswold's house decked out in Christmas lights, beaming brightly. That's, that's you and that's me. As we stick to the word that Isaiah tells us will always produce, will always work, we are those lights that, that beam, that, that shines so brightly for the world to see. Because the Word is always going to work. And it's going to light you up so that the world sees something different in you. So that the world recognizes that we stand out like that bright house. And the prayer, of course, is that as the world sees that, that light of Jesus shining in us, they are drawn to it and they have the opportunity to hear the word. The very word that we are committed to sticking to, no matter what. The very word that assures us and that promises us blessings that nothing else in this world ever could. It's not natural for us to, to stick to the word when it doesn't appear that it's working. That's why it had to be uncovered. That's why it had to be revealed. That was Jesus' agenda, to give to you and me his, his word. Brothers and sisters in Christ, let us stick to that word with the complete and full confidence that God will bear fruit in our lives and in his kingdom through it. Amen.